What's up, everyone? This is episode 219 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle, and as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. Okay, so you guys know I've been a huge advocate for hobby message boards over the course of this show's history, and obviously prior to that as well. They play an invaluable role in giving us a place to discuss certain issues while also helping to archive hobby history in the process. You might even remember episode 125 where Zach and I took the time to run through all the different forums and how they've evolved over time. The main message board we've got now, and really for the better part of the last 15 years or so, is a blowout forums. And there was an incident that took place there over the past week that was pretty concerning to me, so I want to give it a little attention here at the start of the show. One of the posters there, Ryan, who goes by the handle Mind Cycle Cards, and yes, you know, full disclosure, obviously you've heard him on this show several times before, so Ryan is a friend of mine. Ryan logged into his account this past weekend only to find out that he had been suspended for a month, and the only explanation given him was forum rules. When he posted about this on social media, another poster noticed that some of Ryan's posts had been deleted as well. The main one was a post from three weeks ago that included a link to a video Ryan made about Sports Card Investor, and the point of the video was to log SCI's public purchases and and see if he is, in fact, a successful sports card investor. Now, I'm not going to weigh in on that specifically. This isn't the time or the place. But that video is up on Ryan's channel if you want to take a look for yourself. Like I said, this was a post from three weeks ago. And Ryan's not the first person to question this uh, investor-oriented content. There's a 20-plus page thread on Blowout uh, about SCI that spans the better part of three years now. I guess Ryan's just the first person to really magnify things even more and kind of try and document things on a spreadsheet. But anyway, these posts are gone now. And someone commented about it on Twitter, and we got a response from the Blowout account. They said, quote, Definitely becoming more difficult to maintain professional, organized, and informative forum. Now, I will say, I don't doubt that. I know they don't have an easy job. And then they also added, We will will and do suspend those that don't follow rules that are outlined. We appreciate feedback and always look to improve where we can. Uh, As all this was unfolding, I still didn't understand what rule had been broken. And eventually Blowout clarified in another tweet saying, Rule number two, absolutely no self-promotion. Posting YouTube video. And they also added that it was a one-month suspension. Usually that is ban-worthy. Something about that seemed a little off to me. Because if posting a link to a website or a YouTube video or something else you've created is punishable on the basis of self-promotion, then Blowout's not done a good job of policing that at all, because the forum is chock full of self-promotion by that definition. And I wasn't the only one that felt that way either. Someone else more or less asked if there was money attached, or if they were being compensated in some way for taking this stuff down, because we've seen stuff get deleted before when something negative was said about one of their sponsors, or a lawsuit was threatened, or something like that. So that, you know, we know that kind of stuff happens. And Blowout responded again, No, sorry to disappoint. When posts are reported, we follow up the best we can. The level of unprofessionalism and negativity at times towards those you mentioned are excessive, whether warranted or not. 
we ask all to be respectful. So let me get this straight. A three-week-old post that SCI already filmed a response video to was just now reported. And now the reason is not self-promotion, but negativity. So which one is it? Now, mind you, the video wasn't all that negative, in my opinion. I thought it was done in a pretty reasonable fashion, right? It was still critical, but not necessarily negative. And there are people out there that have already jumped to the conclusion that SCI was the one who reported this. Just to be clear, I don't think it was. Uh, I don't have any inside info on that, but I, I don't think it was. The truth of the matter is, though, we don't know. Either way, whether it was him, or an employee, or a fan, or a follower, Blowout has to realize if someone's going to label his or herself as an expert, or a guru, or in this case an investor, it only makes sense that people are going to hold them to that standard down the line. I think that's more fair. And I think this whole situation speaks to the reach that some people have in this hobby, um, you know, where either they can report a reasonable YouTube video and get a user banned, or one of their followers can do it, or the forum itself fears them so much that they want to protect them and nip this whole thing in the bud before it gets out of hand. You might remember last week's episode where I talked about some powerful people or powerful entities in this hobby that are trying to change the narrative for some things that have already taken place. In some cases, they're going as far to uh, redefine common terms to their advantage. Now we're faced with another instance where stuff isn't necessarily getting redefined, it's just getting straight up deleted. Which is tough because ideally, you'd want the facts to be present so the facts could speak for themselves. Now they can't. And this type of censorship has got some people thinking um, about taking their hobby discussions elsewhere. And, and once again, this is not anything new, right? We've seen the rise and fall of other message boards before. As I mentioned earlier, I attempted a quick summary of that with Zach back on episode 125. The main thing you need to know, though, in past instances, when one forum faded into irrelevance, another one rose up and took its place. This was, of course, pre-social media, or pre-social media as we currently know it, I should say. I know there were, you know, social media sites out there at the time, but it wasn't the behemoth that it is now. Whereas now, if people decide they want to leave, they're more likely to do what a lot of other people have already done, go to places like Instagram and Twitter. And that concerns me, probably more than any other message board exodus or potential exodus in the past, because the functionality of places like Instagram and Twitter is nowhere near what you'd find in a place like the blowout forums. And when it comes to hobby history, stuff won't get archived, right? All of that is to say, I've been a big proponent of message boards in the past. I know this stuff isn't new. I've been on blowout for at least a decade now. I probably have defended them to a fault in some instances, just because I, I have such strong uh, ties and nostalgia associated with message boards and I've really enjoyed that experience throughout, you know, the better part of my life, right? But I'm disappointed in the way Blowout handled this situation this week. I understand they have rules. I understand they have the right to enforce them. But the message they sent and the way they went about it didn't sit well with me. It wasn't consistent. I don't think it was entirely transparent. And it kind of falls in line with some of the other stuff I've talked about lately. So before I jumped into a bunch of other stuff today, I thought it was only right that you guys are made aware of the situation as well. All right, before I move into today's conversation with Anne-Marie, I want to remind you that this show is brought to you in part by ComC.com, your home for buying, 
selling, and flipping all the hottest trading cards. Their consignment marketplace is home to over 31 million trading cards, from baseball's biggest stars like Shohei Otani, Aaron Judge, and Mookie Betts, to Marvel favorites like Spider-Man, Thor, and Captain America, ComC has something for every type of collector. Visit ComC.com today to build your collection with your favorite cards. Additionally, some of you have asked me for ways you can help support this show. The easiest way is my eBay affiliate link, and using this link costs you absolutely nothing, just an extra 30 seconds or so of your time, but it helps support the show. To access this link, simply go to waxmuseumpodcast.com, click the eBay logo, shop as planned, so whatever you're going to buy, just click my link first, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. This is Slick Leonard. You're listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. Boom, baby! Okay, so joining me today is someone I had the privilege of chatting with back in January on episode 204. We chatted about NBA cards, uh, sports marketing, custom cards, and more, and we really only scratched the surface. So the two of us have been messaging a little bit lately about college basketball, the WNBA draft, the upcoming season, and so on. So I figured it was as good a time as any to bring her back on to explore some of these topics a little bit more. Anne-Marie, how's it going? You know, it's great. Today was the last day of classes for me, uh, uh, college classes, uh, teaching. So after finals, it'll be summer break, um, which is the best time for my for my fake job being a professor. Uh, so yeah, it's good. Fun time of year, fun time, great time for women's sports. We've got a lot of cool stuff happening this summer. So lots to look forward to. Well, I'm jealous of you because uh, I am also in a school, but I have another month left. So, and this is that worst month of the year where uh, everything just kind of goes haywire. So um, congrats to you. I, I envy you. But like you said, we got a lot of fun stuff this summer to look forward to, even though your summer starts a little bit earlier than mine, but that's all right here. Now, everyone listening at home knows that on this show, all roads eventually lead to cardboard. So mm-hmm. we'll get to the card shortly here, but we're we're talking a little bit about prospecting today and yeah. WNBA rosters. And the setup is quite a bit different than the NBA. So we've got to give some context here. And I think a good place to start would be an interesting piece the New York Times published last month about the situation they coined the WNBA's talent conundrum. Now, Anne-Marie, this I'm sure wasn't anything shocking to you, but as someone who's primarily an NBA guy, I would say it was pretty eye-opening to me. Uh, Do you think that's a correct assessment, though? You weren't surprised by this stuff? I didn't like the headline. The WNBA doesn't have a talent problem. It has a roster spot problem. The problem is there's too much talent, right? Right. So you read that article quick and you get fed into this like, oh, it's layups, right? You know, I remind people this, that I teach at a division three school with a football team, right? There are more men on the division three football team then there are roster spots in the entire WNBA, right? That's what we're dealing with, right? So the WNBA doesn't have a talent issue. The WNBA has a lack of roster spots issue and prospecting in, in women's basketball, if you're a card collector is an entirely different beast than, than what NBA collectors do. It's not for the faint hearted. Okay, good. So we're going to really dive into some of that stuff today. I can't wait to talk about that. Let's start with a couple of uh, young ladies that have been in the headlines here lately. 
Uh, and that would be Angel Reese and Caitlin Clark. And we're not going to go into, you know, whose side is, you know, who was disrespectful or blah, blah, blah. You know, it, it was fun. It was trash talk. It is what it is, right? But a lot of people saw that and they saw all that attention. And I think they assumed they were going to leverage that success and fame and attention into an immediate payoff at the pro level, because that's what's happened in the men's game for decades here. But the truth of the matter is, even if they wanted to, they can't. Right. Um, it's my understanding they weren't even eligible for the WNBA draft. So can you explain the eligibility rules for us here yes. real quick? So basics, the easiest way to think about it, the WNBA's eligibility rules is you need to be 22 years of age or have finished your college eligibility, which generally is that four years, but we have an extra COVID year. And you have to be outside of four years of your high school graduation. It's closer to an NFL uh, mm -hmm. eligibility than it would be to an NBA eligibility. And it's never really been that big of an issue before, but we're at this really incredibly crazy time right now where you have the convergence of three really big factors that are changing men's and women's basketball, but we're seeing its effects quicker in the women's game. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One, you have the COVID extra year of eligibility kick in, right? So players can stay an, an extra year to make up for that. Two, you've got NILs. So suddenly you've got players being able to make compensation off of that fame that they're getting. And three, you've got the expansion of the transfer portal, right? Like, hmm. like I would argue when they said, you know, is Kim, and I don't like Kim Mulkey, right? Like right. I, like I, I, you know, I, I put a post on Instagram saying, it's, I like love Reese and I love, you know, Johnson. I love the LSU team, but I can't root for LSU because uh, Mulkey is trash. And people would say, you know, I'm subtle, right? Would right. say, you know, is this the greatest coach? You know, this delivered a championship so quickly. Yes, that's impressive. But LSU is a product of that transfer portal, right? Mm -hmm. Great that she made them gel together, right? So the question becomes- well, and, and just to cut in here real quick, then they just got another basically college superstar yeah, on live. top of that. Oh, yeah. And I mean, part of it is, particularly with NILs, like if you look at the data, the social media followers of men's and women's NCAA basketball players in the final four, I think there were only like three out of 20 men on that list it was all females, right? Mm -hmm. Part of it is that the three men on that list all knew they were going to go to NBA. When, like, like when Cavender twins decided to drop out of Miami basketball, you know, everyone's like shocked about it. Like they went to Miami, you know, they got an NCAA, they were the first NCAA NIL violation in history. That'll be a good trivia question. Like who was the first NIL case adjudicated? It was, it was the- Right, Captain when it's win. like, we, I didn't even think we had real rules around that stuff for a while. Well, it took them a while because essentially, you know, the NCAA didn't want NILs. They took it begrudgingly because basically if they said no, then NCAA was going to be disbanded because they're, yeah. a cartel, I mean, they're a cartel, right? Right. Um, but the Cavender twins were never going to the WNBA. Mm -hmm. Nobody is. the People were like, well, they can't go to the, they miss the draft. And I was like, nobody's drafting five, six guards. Well, they could go international. No, those countries don't like the Cavender twins were never going to go play professional. It was always about leveraging their experience to work in the WWE or to be, you know, an influencer. So you have all these converge right at the same time. If you are Caitlin Clark, if you are Angel Reese, right, you can probably do better from NILs than you're going to get on an NBA contract. Like mm -hmm. right? that's just the reality of it. And it, you know, this hasn't been an issue where people are suddenly shocked, right? Or suddenly shocked. But you're going to see that more, I think. And it's great for the WNBA. 
It mm-hmm. is great for the WNBA, right? The biggest barrier for women's sport marketing is anonymity. The WNBA, it's like, just keep the little ones in the incubator and let them let them blossom. We've got enough stars to market here. It'll just create more interest uh, when they when they get drafted. I also think something that, I, you know, I spoke a lot about, you know, in my professional career is a lot of people love the narrative when you looked at when you looked at championship viewership. Right. Mm-hmm. That Caitlin Clark and Angel Reese is the reason why we had record viewership for for women's March Madness now that we can finally call it women's March Madness. Mm-hmm. And while I would love to give Caitlin Clark and Angel Reese like that props, absolutely not true. Right. We had nine point nine million people watch March Madness this year. It was the single highest ever. Now, what was the second highest ever? Another good trivia question, 1995, actually, it was the UConn-Tennessee championship. That's That was number two. Now, what's the big difference? They had 7.4 million. In 1995, that game was on ABC. ABC. Then, 1996 until 2022, that game was on ESPN. What do we know about ESPN? It's behind a cable wall. Mm-hmm. So less people have access to it. Then in 2023, what happened? The game went back then to ABC. So for me, yes, women's basketball is bigger than it was. There was lots of great drama. But the fact that it was so high had more to do with the fact that you stopped putting it on ESPN and you put it on ABC. Right. right? And the funny thing about that, think about, I think it was a Sunday afternoon. If ABC is not showing live sports, they're not getting viewers on a Sunday afternoon. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and and that's been part of it, right, is that we've never marketed women's sports, that largely we've told a story that doesn't bear out to be true, right? Look at the booming viewership of the WNBA. Look at booming viewership of NWSL. The, one of the lessons post-COVID is like when you actually put women's sports on TV, people watch it. Mm-hmm. Shocking, right. you know, absolutely. Like when you make women's sport products, people buy it. It's wild. Um, right. So what an exciting time, you know, and it's hard because you have these great stars in college, then they come out into the pros and maybe they're a lottery pick and then they get drafted by the Indiana fever, which means that they'll at some point then be cut by the Indiana fever. I think this was the fourth year in a row. The Indiana fever has cut a lottery picks. It's true. And, and, and this is, this is like my second or third year of, of really, you know, making a, a serious effort to follow this. And I'm still like, I, I see that, that headline. I saw it this past week with Emily and it's like, first round pick cut. And I'm like, I, I can't wrap my head around that. And, and the people that know the situation really well say, well, you know, that really wasn't a surprise, but to me, it's like, I, I'm still learning this whole thing. So it was surprising to me. So let's talk about that. Not the talent conundrum, the roster spot conundrum. Right. So, you know, you mentioned that your D3 school has more players, essentially. There mm-hmm. are what, 144 roster spots mm-hmm. in the entire league, something like yeah. that. We just had the WNBA draft. There are 36 players that are drafted every year. Yeah. Um, so, you know, where do all these players, where can they go if they're not going from college to the WNBA? What what avenues are actually out there? Uh, Europe, they go into coaching. They, you know, they become Shea Petties and other players that keep hustling. They go and play for Athletes Unlimited, right? Like they go to places where there's women's basketball, right? I mean, mm-hmm. what's interesting, we're going to see expansion in the WNBA, Okay. Um, it's, it's going to happen. I mean, it really is 
it's it's going to be what kind of owners are going to come to the table, what kind of capital are they going to be able to bring? I, I think there's a possibility that you could have a WNBA development league. I don't I, I think that's something that could happen. There is a league called Force 10. And it's, you know, if we look at avenues for um, WNBA development and a pipeline, Force 10 is a three on three league. They play 10 minute games. I mean, I think WNBA expansion to me isn't a, a, a an if, it's going to be a when. Mm-hmm. But I think there might, you could see something like a WNBA development league. Okay. You know, it doesn't have to be big, also be a, a, a potential. Yeah. Now you mentioned ownership there. One thing I was encouraged by this week, I heard, I think his name's Matt Ishba, the new mm-hmm. uh, Phoenix owner. And yes. he was on Bill Simmons podcast this week. And of course, Simmons only wanted to talk about the Suns. And he right. kept mentioning, I bought the Suns and the Mercury. Right, and exactly. and I thought, and it see, and it was obviously very intentional. And I'm like, you know, I like this guy. I like that he prioritized that as an NBA owner. He wanted a team that also to buy the WNBA team as well. So it, hopefully we keep getting people like that. And I know, you know, it's in the Davis in Vegas, like some of this ownership seem to me, at least seems like they're really invested in this and, and moving this forward. Um, but it's going to take more people. So you right. mentioned expansion here. My impression of expansion from what I've heard is, okay, how is this going to work out financially? Because mm-hmm. we, I think talent wise, I feel like there's some super teams. I look at your yeah. Liberty and I know you've said it's only on paper. Hey, I'm trying I to- I wish we were a super team. We haven't won a, but we haven't won a, like I've aged prematurely. If I had not become a Liberty fan, I went to their first game at Madison Square Garden. I would not have a weight problem if I wasn't a Liberty fan. Literally, I like my gravestone will say Liberty fan on it. And that is directly connected. I, uh, most of my ills, when people say it's a it's super team, it's like, uh, I we're super at what? Like super, well, okay, I'm not so you you yeah. got Stewie though. You remember last show? I we think did. You were we got we got Stewie. Stewie. So. Oh, I mean, we look great on you know we look great. I look great on paper. You so. know, like I'm great on I'm great on the blind date until you actually you know I have a face for radio, which is why podcast works, right? So, so I feel I would say though I feel like we have three or four super teams, which when you're when you're looking at twelve teams total, that's a, a pretty big percentage of it where we don't have that proportionally in the NBA. So I think there it is ready talent wise to expand. I'm just wondering, you know, and I know you have kind of a financial side as well. You have some background in that major background in that. How is that going to work? Well, a, a couple things. The WNBA all leagues, like if we look at competitive balance, all leagues will have super teams, right? Like you think about everyone saying, oh, the Boston Bruins lost. The Boston Bruins lost wasn't even the biggest upset in sport the same week. Minnesota's NBA team had the biggest loss, mm-hmm. right? The, the only six six teams of the last 40, the last 40 Stanley Cups, the number one seed has only gone to the Stanley Cup final uh, one, six times in 40. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, it's wild. Right. But the WNBA started with like, this is not the only super teams. We remember, you know, the league started in 1997. Right. Mm-hmm. The 1997 champions, the Comets, 1998, Comets, yep. Comets, 1999, the Comets, 2000, the Comets. Right. It was what swoops Cooper. Right. Is They were loaded. In all of sport, there was only one team in the 2010s, our last decade, that won four championships. And it's the Minnesota Lynx. The team hmm. of the decade, in, the most dominant team in any professional sport in America was the Minnesota Leafs by championships in 2010. I think part of it is, is that we love dynasties, mm-hmm. right? Like we love dynasties. I don't know if it's a problem, 
right? It's like, we like to think so. Like Americans like to believe that we love upsets in March Madness, but our viewership habits don't tell us that. <laughs> well, yeah, the upsets in the first round are great. And then when you're totally. watching those teams later on, it's like, right. oh, I kind of wish the powerhouse was back. Right. So, you know, and people do this all the time. They'd say UConn women's dominance is bad for women's basketball, but nobody says the same thing about UCLA, right? In the men's mm -hmm. game. So I actually think Stewie would be more valuable in Seattle than she would be in New York, because I think mm -hmm. Seattle is a stronger WNBA city than New York. Yeah. You know, like Stewie's brand, I think is stronger in Seattle because the storm of a much stronger like brand than the Liberty do. The Liberty is trying to like develop that brand, right? And mm -hmm. success will, you know, every league wants success to happen in LA and in New York and in the bigger markets. But, you know, there's lots of great, I mean, lots of great intrigue. And part of it is we have to remember it's a young league. I thought it was just amazing. You had Candace Parker interviewed saying she's never had a locker before. Mm-hmm. She's never had a practice facility that she could just go and shoot in. Like one of the things she was really excited about with Vegas is they just got a new practice facility and she finally gets a locker and she can just show up and go shoot and, and to go shoot baskets there. I was going to say, I saw a picture of that this week. I didn't remember if it was real oh. or a Photoshop that you did. You're, you're oh, tricking. no, I mean, it looked like the Star Wars, right? It looked you're like the Millennium me Falcon. Now. Yeah. Yeah. But like a player like Candace Parker has never had a locker. It's, mm -hmm. it's unreal, right? In terms of like, what that experience has been. So, you know, I think you're going to have, you know, they still haven't won any, any, everything yet, but I think it's an exciting time because you're going to have expansion into, into some new markets. I think it's almost a certainty. We're going to see a Canadian franchise. It's almost mm -hmm. definitely, I would think going to be Toronto. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the lessons, the W, you know, the WNBA, when it started, it, it went against what was successful in the ABL where it was like, you had these smaller cities that had teams like Hartford, you know, there was no ABL team in New York. It was Hartford, right? So the WNBA were like, we're going to go in NBA cities. And then they found eh, that may not work so well. So you had teams like big city Detroit, you had them move to Tulsa and you had teams move around. I think it's going to be a mix. I think you're going to see teams in like bigger markets, like the Bay Area and Toronto. And you're also going to see like Nashville probably get a team and Philly mm -hmm. get a team. And I, I think that's good for the league. I think it's good to expand base. I think it's good for rosters. We know we have the talent. Also, I wouldn't put out of mind, uh, you know, a development league or even how Force 10, how different formats can create a pipeline to the WNBA. Okay. So you mentioned, uh, we talked a little bit about NIL. We talked about a number of things mm -hmm. so far, but you mentioned NIL and that, that kind of transitions us to the card world here where yeah. you've told me before, you said prospecting women's basketball cards is tough. You probably said it stronger than that though. Now, before we go any further though, I, I want you to clarify your definition of prospecting, because I know when we say that in like the baseball card world, it might be something completely different or it might be maybe more similar than we realize. What do you mean by prospecting? I mean, uh, I'm going to buy Diamond Miller's card at this low because she's going to be the next Diana Taurasi. So I'm going to figure out and, you know, gauge what rookies might be undervalued and get in early to be able to, you know, and use analytics and use a whole, you know, like ask a magic eight ball and rub some lamps and like, you know, find out who's a vegan and figure out who the next stars are and get in early while the get in is cheap. Okay. Is that and the same I, thing? Is that what you guys are doing on prospecting? Well, I, I mean, I can't speak for everyone else. I know I think with like baseball, of course, baseball, you've got guys coming in really young. 
Um, they're, yeah. they'll buy them when they're they're you know practically teenagers. They're gonna yeah. you know scoop up a they're bunch like, of these cards. Who's hitting puberty soon? Let me buy his gold <laughs> right. refractor now. Like, and then yeah. just hope that eight years later that pans out, and then yeah. they can turn that over into another prospect. Basketball doesn't quite work the same way, just because there's not that you know the minor. We don't buy G leaguers, right? You don't prospect G leaguers. Um, right. and then we haven't had a lot of college stuff, and now even people don't really prospect that a lot because you you know ooh, who wants college stuff right that's kind of been the mindset and maybe i right. just speak for myself there but so it, it's a totally different game but but i know that word prospecting people think like baseball and, and bowman and that's what they go to so i wanted to make that you know distinction yeah, there I mean, if it when was I think there about it it's just like i mean some of the ridiculousness that i see in other sports is like the prices of like some of these football quarterbacks it's mm-hmm. already baked in that they're going to win eight <laughs> super bowls yeah. Right? It's a, it's a crazy to me. Right. And like, I was buying rookie card. Like I like leaf cards and other cards that are cool. The one, like the player I bought it on and it's my way too early guy. Diamond Miller, I think is going to be the rookie of the year because okay. I think she's got the best setup in, in Minnesota. I, and I remember you telling me that she was the number two pick, right? Yeah. I sell all my mutual funds. I auction, you know, I sold the dog off. Um, I'm going all in on Diamond Bill, but I, I just think the combo of what she can do, and I think the Minnesota Lynx is a great landing spot for her, mm-hmm. right? So I was like, yeah, if I can buy autos at $5, like, sure, right? Like, why not? Mm-hmm. But these are, but I also like watching Diamond Miller, right? You know right. what I mean? Um, so it's really hard, though, because, you know, and it's not just like Engsler getting cut. I mean, we had, you know, Crystal Dangerfield won a rookie of the year and mm-hmm. then got cut in the offseason, right? Yeah. Like, there's just, there's no equivalency to that because of the roster issues. And then she got a prison rookie, right? I mean, <laughs> like, yeah. And then, you know, but they always had the right, right person on that. Right. So, you know, it's, it's really hard to gauge, you know, you can't just look at a number four draft pick and assign a value to that in a card because she might not be there. So you mentioned Leaf in there. We've seen some uh, women's players in their products already. I know people have, I um, I know, like we've talked about the fever and Nelissa Smith, was mm-hmm. in some of their stuff. What other companies or products have you seen so far that are including some of these college players? Because NIL is really opening a lot of that up now. Yeah. Well, a couple of things. You can look at, one example would be team issued set. So the player's trunk is a company that, it's, I mean, it's genius. It was started by a bunch of Syracuse alums where they like, essentially players can sell their gear on it, right? Like actual okay. players. But they've also now gotten into official University of Connecticut women's basketball cards. So FUD's first official UConn card. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Paige Beckers doesn't have a card in that set because she probably didn't opt in because she has her own NIL deals, right? So something like that. You've got um, Tops came back out with the McDonald's All-American set, which I think was a great rip. And for the women's game, has an am- it's a, an amazing class of people, which, again, you have Lauren Betts, who was the number one sort of uh, prospect coming into college. She went to Stanford. She just via the transfer portal went to UCLA, where she will then meet with Kiki Rice, who is a big Jordan sort of prospect. Flout uh, uh, Johnson, who was a big part of LSU teams, has a play has a card in there. So there's a lot of like, you know, uh, Barker from what, Barker, Texas A&M. Um, Lastin, who was the uh, freshman of the year out of Florida State's in there. So like, Tops had a great product. You have the Athletes Unlimited, which isn't as much college players. You have some WNBA players, but players that, you know, haven't been in the WNBA play for Athletes Unlimited. So that's it. I think you're going to see more 
companies like uh, Bowman U is coming out. So mm -hmm. January 3rd, you're going to have Bowman U, which is going to have the Caitlin uh, Clark card that everyone is going to go crazy for. And uh, uh, Aaliyah Boston is going to have a card. We, they don't, we don't know. So there's like, you know, the NILs have really been able to open up. I love, I see, I'm weird. I love college cards. Love college cards. Women, like women's basketball, college basketball is just such a, that was the, you know, growing up before the WNBA, it was, we, it was just women's college basketball. So for me, I love, I, you know, I love the Sports Illustrated college cards. I love mm -hmm. team issue college cards. I, I think they're really fun. Caitlin Clark is going to be the big pull in that set. Kind of the way like in Donruss right now, Donruss soccer, I know it's not basketball, but right now the Donruss soccer cards, the biggest pull is the, the women's USA cards that okay. we have like seven women's USA players. Those are the breaks that people are just going crazy for because they want the women's cards. So again, when you put women's cards out, when you put products out, people, people mm -hmm. buy them. There's a lot of enthusiasm. I know. I, I saw the, I think the Canadian fans were unhappy about uh, the Canadian women not being in there, but yeah, that, that's yeah. a well, discussion know, for was, another it day. It was so, it was such a, I know it was such a small checklist. It was such a small checklist. Yeah. So um, we mentioned college cards, but we've talked also about WNBA cards. You know, mm -hmm. I'm following Aaliyah Boston stuff. I still need to get her sports illustrated for kids card at some point, mm -hmm. but um, we're starting to think about moving forward here. And I'm assuming we're going to get prism and revolution. I think that's what we got last year from Panini. I hope um, so. I hope, you know, I think revolution was the wrong product. You know, yeah. like I, I'm not, I, I like the revolution product, right. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't know if it, I don't think it was, I think they should have done a Chronicle set. Like I think Chronicles would have been a really I was going to cool say, set. I think you suggested Chronicles on the last episode. And, and yeah. I, I think that would be a great way to cool. incorporate all the brands you you totally. feel like you're getting all these case hits in the same box. It would be a good, you know, feel like there would be a lot of value in the product. Hopefully they go that route. I don't know. I don't know anything about that. The bar is really low. What can get us excited? Like, like a dual auto, like a pa a relic. Like I'll take a, I'll take a napkin. I will literally take a napkin. Like I don't like, it doesn't even need to be a Jersey. It can be a napkin because we haven't had them in over a decade. Yeah. But like, like literally, and everyone loves Prism. I'm not sure always that Prism has loved us back all the time. Well, I think it's, it's something Panini, obviously they don't put a lot of effort into it because they get some of the wrong women on, on the cards with the wrong names on them. But it's it's a brand that they know is going to move regardless. I mean, they just put Monopoly Prism cards out, and I I've got to be careful here. People love their Monopoly cards. I think they're goofy, but you know what? They put Prism on something and it moves, so it is what it is. You know, I thought my Prism Tampax uh, collaboration <laughs> really was able to to move things. It really gave a whole new idea to the term, you know, inserts. So I mean, I'm going to leave that one alone but, here. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's I like it. I love Monopoly though, but like fiercely competitive at Monopoly. Right. And well, I don't get you know, me wrong. I, like I love Monopoly. Product. I just, I just don't see like I don't need Benedict Matherin on my Monopoly pieces and stuff. But it, anyway, it is what it is. All right. So we talked about a lot of stuff today, and I don't want to try and sugarcoat things and and say that you know, hey, these are just signs of growing pains, right? In other mm -hmm. words, I don't want to celebrate uh, issues just because they're different issues than we started with. Mm -hmm. We are, however, seeing some changes in this hobby, right? We're seeing some more things that we haven't seen before. Do you feel like things are moving in the right direction? Yeah. You know, I always love the Tony Kirshner quote when he said the world only spins forward, right? Like mm -hmm. there's going to be blips where we'll go backwards, right? But we're always moving towards, I would say, more equity, 
more progress, more inclusivity. It, it's not always going to be a straight line, mm-hmm. but you know, I kind of sometimes think part of it is that it's kind of like with Title IX, right? Like women had been playing sport forever. Title IX was just when men realized that they could make money off of it or that there would be an opportunity to. You know, I think maybe the, you know, during the big hobby rush, when it was just like the hobby was a tornado and it was never going to go down. And maybe the decline right now in terms of some values and, you know, women's cards, some women's cards, I would say, are down, but they didn't boom the same way that men's cards did. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think reasonable people understand that the hobby needs to incorporate more voices and bring more people in. And, you know, women's sport and and, you know, you know, non-sport cards are like incredible ways to, to do that. So you mentioned bringing women in here. I, I was about to close things out, but. Uh, I know there's been a lot of conversation on Instagram lately about uh, no female signers at the national so far. Uh, This is your, your platform here. Give me your pitch for female signers at the national this year. I mean, you gave us the right to vote and own land. So at some point we were going to show up at your cardboard. Right. I mean, I think it's partly it's bad business. You know what I mean? Like, like if we want to grow the hobby, Right. We want to bring in more voices. We want to we want to bring more. It's it's good business to expand the people that will take interest in being at that show. And women's sports, we know this. The data shows us this. The biggest predictor of spend is fan avidity, right? How connected you are, your fan avidity. Female sport fans have a higher fan avidity than men's sport fans. Because it takes a lot more time. If you want to watch the NWSL, you got to like look for games. You may need to use a stream. You know, you, you don't trip into women's sports events if you are a NWSL fan. You know, when we look at return on investment for sponsors, the, pro, during COVID, the NWSL and PHF had the highest return on investment for sponsors, right? You look at the what the WNBA has done in terms of booming viewership, right? Don't tell me that the hobby is an inclusive place for all. And then every kid that comes in the door of that, if they say, what role do female athletes have in this hobby? The answer is nothing. Mm -hmm. So for one, it's bad business. Like I'm a business professor. I like money, right? Like like I'm a sport marketer. So from a money point of view, don't tell me that there's not enough interest for women's sports and then have Scott Spezio come inside. No offense to Scott Spezio. Sure, he's a great guy. Can you imagine if Candace Parker signed at the National? Every single, like, every single sixth grade basketball team in a hundred mile radius would be there. Maybe even less. Like, put put even a non-USA women's... I mean, we brought uh, McCall Zambroni uh, uh, to the National last year at the Women in the Hobby booth, and you should have seen the line. You should have seen, like, boys, girls, women. Like, you can't say that people have a place and then make them invisible mm. right like it's so one it's bad business two give me and i give me another national convention or conference that would have only male representation in one part of it mm-hmm. the boy scouts had female speaker i mean i'm not surprised that asking questions elicited such a response but the problem is, again, when when leaders in the industry say, well, give me some names of people you'd invite. One thing I want to say is if you can't think of them, maybe that's part of the problem. Right. So right. 
you know, again, I, I think I think it's not good business. I think you're leaving a lot of potential expansion for our hobby on the table. But we talk a lot about kids. We talk a lot about the children of the future of the hobby. All right. So what is a, what is a girl and boy going to learn about what athletes matter in this ho- hobby? Hmm. Don't use diversity as a punchline. Have me speak on diversity issues. And then, you know, it's been, it's been, I think 10 years. If I'm wrong, have someone email me. I think the last female signer at the national was Mia Hamm. And I think it was 2012 or 2011, maybe. It's just an idea. Right. It doesn't seem so crazy to me. Well, hopefully um, they come to their senses sooner than later. Uh, Maybe, you know, I I don't know the timeline here, but maybe even there's still time to get somebody in there and get everything organized. Um, Until then, you've got your customs on your page. I saw an Alex Morgan, Scott Spezio dual autograph, highly coveted card. Um, It it really is. Yes. So um, I've enjoyed chatting with you today. Always. Um, I want to make sure before our time runs out here, I want to make sure that people know where to find that page at so they can see all that stuff, see your commentary, see some of the stuff we've talked about today. Feel free. These next few moments here are yours. The nice thing is I'm I'm like a just a dorky cardboard collector and, you know, started my Instagram page with my too many women's sport cards really to just connect with people. So I tend to use a little bit of sarcasm, a snarky sense of humor and Photoshop skills is like a weapon in America today. Have a lot of fun with that. But I just love talking cardboard. You know, I just I really do. I love, you know, if you are a coach and you coach youth teams and you give cards out, I send boxes out each week for free with just women's sport cards so you can give them out. Um, We're a great hobby because we're filled with great people and it's just a way to connect. Um, Otherwise, we're just talking about literal cardboard. So um, definitely send me a message. I love to geek out about cardboard. You know, I love love to give cards away too because I just have so many. Just help me unbury my desk, please. All right. And so that's women... Dot women on, on tops. tops. Okay. Yep. Women on tops and um, tops has not sued me yet. They actually have reached out about partnerships, but every time I get an email from them, I assume it's the cease and assist letter, but that hasn't come yet. So women on fanatics sounds a lot worse. So we're just, <laughs> we're going to, we're going to see how, how that goes. So. Well, thanks as always, Anne-Marie, I, you're going to be back on the show here in the future. We got to have more cool. conversations here. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, there you have it. I always enjoy chatting with Anne-Marie. If only you knew the amount of questions I send to her on a regular basis. I'm still trying to get a better grasp on the WNBA world, and she has always been super patient with me, so I'm very thankful for that. Maybe there was something we talked about today that resonated with you. Her social media handle's in the title. Then you can find me on Instagram as well, under Wax Museum Podcast, or Twitter, under the handle at WaxMuseumPC. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Hit up the website for my affiliate links. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast. Podcast.